As I said at the beginning of our time uh, together this morning, uh, I bring you greetings from the west side. It is uh, good to be here. Y'all, this space is, in my view at least, a significant upgrade from uh, where we have been. And yet, we give thanks uh, that over the past year, Trinity on the north side has been able to take root um, over at Skyland Methodist. Um, What a gift, though, to be in this space with you. And I'm so glad that you are here. If you have um, been the stalwarts who have hung with the north side at a 4 p.m. service in a semi-dark room, uh, we are thankful for you. If you are new to this experience, maybe you live over in the Sandy Springs or Dunwoody area and you're checking out this church, um, we hope that you will truly and, and deeply discern whether this is where God has you and we sincerely hope that the Lord will draw you to this place. Um, like I said at the beginning, uh, my name is Chris and I, I planted Trinity in um, October of 2002, which is like when I think about that, it really makes me feel old, uh, that it's been 17 years since we started Trinity on the West Side. And I just want to tell you a little bit about that by way of celebrating what God's doing here on, on the North Side through Trip and, and Rachel and the team. Uh, when we started Trinity, we started uh, the church over near where we currently worship. And I was 26 years old when we planted this church and had no idea and really no clue and maybe even no business uh, starting a church at that age and with that life of ex- uh, lack of life experience. And yet God had blessed the work of our hands. We rooted into a place and decided we were gonna, we were gonna adopt a long view. We were gonna stick around. And I think that in a world that is full of new ideas and flash in the pan kind of uh, PR presses, uh, one of the greatest gifts that we can give to the Lord is a desire to just be uh, faithful over a long period of time. And that's been the story of Trinity is just sticking around. I, I think that our, uh, our greatest expertise is, is just not quitting. Um, and over the years, the Lord really began to press on us and our leadership team on, on the West Side that we didn't want to just grow one single church, but we wanted to be about the planting of new works. And uh, that idea of church planting and starting new works actually was something the Lord worked into us at first. And uh, like young parents, our early efforts at church planting were not always the most awesome um, and uh, the most stellar. I even look out in this room and see some of you were uh, victims of our early efforts at church planting in this room. But over time, the Lord began to establish this idea that we wanted to love Atlanta well. And part of loving Atlanta well meant that we wanted to plant churches in the various neighborhoods and places of this city. So a year ago, just a little bit over a year ago, we planted this church. And as I look out at you this morning and see this room full of people in a space that is just a beautiful space for this kind of worship, uh, I'm so blessed and so thankful that you have either found this place Uh, by coming in from the side, like not a part of Trinity, or that you had the courage to leave our east side or our west side and be a part of something or at least to check something out. So God bless you. Um, And I just wanna offer a deep level of praise um, Tripp's terrible soccer team, Everton won yesterday. And so Tripp, your pastor is in England right now celebrating and word on the street is that the victory was so shocking that all the Everton supporters bought he and his brother beer because they were so thrilled. Uh, and I think there are a whole bunch of like English soccer hooligans who have convinced themselves that Tripp and Todd are their good luck charms. So thanks be to God for uh, soccer victories in, in England. Um, I'm going to say a few things to you about this text, and then we're going to move toward the communion table. And I just want to say to you, 
Uh, I, I'm not as smart as Trip, and, and I'm also not as tall as Trip, uh, and, but I do have more tattoos than him, and I think about things in a way that probably is uh, different from what you normally hear. So I just want to prepare you for a, a sermon that's going to come from, from my own heart. And here's the way that I write sermons. Uh, I write sermons in the same way that I read my Bible devotionally. Uh, I try to look at the text and say, what stands out to me in this text and what can I do to think deeply about those things? And so I'm just gonna say a few things to you that are gonna come up on this screen. And this is not rocket science, y'all. This is an invitation to learn how to step back, maybe in your own devotional reading, and just think about where the invitations are as you read your Bibles on maybe a Monday morning. And so I'm just gonna say a very few common sense things about this text that might be uh, occasion for us to think more deeply about our life with God. Number one, you can't read this text without acknowledging that John has been baptizing. He's been doing his job. And I've been thinking about this because Jesus is this, um, this emerging, uh, emerging, increasingly known Messiah. But John, who comes before Jesus, has just been doing his job. John knew that the Lord had said to him, I want you to go out into the wilderness and I want you to live on the edges and I want you to baptize people. And I've been thinking about this in my own life. It's like, where am I supposed to just be doing my job? Because a lot of us live our lives waiting for the next job, like waiting for the next big opportunity or waiting for something to feel really profound. And it occurs to me that when you find this passage and Jesus and John start to interact, that John had just been like hand to the plow, faithfully doing what he was told to do, even if he was sometimes confused about exactly what it all meant or where the story was headed. And so I just wanna say to you in a very common sense way, where are you being invited to just simply do your job? And I don't mean necessarily just where you receive a paycheck. Where are you meant to put your hand to the plow and be faithful? See, this whole story would not be a story if John weren't doing his job. And I look at my own life as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a neighbor, as a Christian, as a human, and I say, where are you inviting me to just do my job? And I just wanna say this, at the risk of sounding like a grumpy old man, we do not and should not get trophies for doing our jobs. We live in a world where we think we're supposed to be lauded and celebrated just for showing up. And if you have been blessed with children, your kids are growing up in a world where they are being told that just by showing up, they deserve trophies and accolades. And I just wanna say to you, John knew that he had a job to do and he was doing the job, even if there were times where he was a little bit unclear about what it all meant, how it all meant something, whether it was adding up to a big picture, he was simply learning what it meant to be faithful. And I will tell you, the, the longer that I live in the Lord, as a Christian, as a, as a resident of this city, who lives on the west side and has done so for a long time, the more I realize that my job is simply to continue being faithful in the areas that the Lord has called me to be faithful. And so I just wanna ask you to look at your life. January is a great time to look at our lives and say, where am I meant to continue to persist in areas of faithfulness? Because sometimes we wanna forsake that for some like bigger thing. Uh, Trip's visiting England uh, and is by all accounts an Anglophile. Trip, Trip is all in, but I have one up on Trip. I lived there for a little while. Um, I made a baby in England. We had a baby with together, my wife and I in England. So like I, I am all in on England. And I remember one day as a city boy being in the countryside and coming upon this uh, flock of sheep 
And I was scared of the sheep because I'd never been around sheep. And then one of my country friends said, don't be scared of the sheep. The sheep are just sheep. They're fine. And I once saw uh, this little lamb craning its neck through a barbed wire fence to eat grass on the other side of the barbed wire fence. And this lamb had like, I mean, we're talking about like miles of green grass over here. And then the, the, the saying, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, like came into crystal clear focus. I thought this lamb is like me. I'm always wanting something else other than what I have. And sometimes just doing your job means learning to, to maximize what you have. Maybe the person you share a bed with isn't as impressive to you as a human being as they once were. Trust me, neither are you. (laughs) Maybe your job doesn't feel as exciting as it once did. Sometimes the Lord wants us to recognize that doing our jobs, that sticking around, that cultivating faithfulness is actually a remarkable gift, not only to you, but to the world around you. John was doing his job. And I don't think John was looking for a trophy. The second thing that I, that I see in this passage is that John, unlike many of the people around him, is able to actually truly see who Jesus is. Uh, John uh, reminds me in this moment of, of Anna and Simeon. So like we've just come through uh, this beautiful season of Advent and, and now in the season of Epiphany, this uh, beautiful idea that John, who was familiar to Jesus, like they're, they're second cousins, they're, uh, they're, their relatives knew one another. So John probably like went to some like family lunches with Jesus growing up and uh, Jesus was um, uh, in, in many respects like right under his nose. Like they weren't strangers to one another. And yet John, according to John 1, uh, did not know all that Jesus really was. Um, We're told in the Bible that he knew him, but he didn't know him until he saw uh, that Jesus is the one. And we see this in this passage, like John's eyes are open, but I would submit to you um, a couple of things for us to think about regarding seeing Jesus for who he is. Number one, uh, the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt is a real saying. It's a legit thing. Sometimes something can be so familiar to you that you stop taking it seriously. And that happens with jobs, with spouses, with friends, but it also happens with God. It's like we think we know him. And so we start to think like, okay, God's a bolt-on or like a part of my life. He lives over here, but my life is really what, what counts. And John, like all of us, probably had that risk, that threat at, at play in his life, like thinking he knew Jesus, but not really knowing Jesus. And when I think about Anna and Simeon, those old people in the temple who saw the infant Jesus and like actually recognized him, when I think of the Magi, when I think of the shepherds, like people, the few people who really saw Jesus, I think all of those people, the hardest person in in the story to really see Jesus was probably John because he had a measure of familiarity. I wanna say this to you as well. For you to really see Jesus for who he is, like to go beyond like what you think you know to what's really going on, you are gonna have to live as a reflective person. But the problem is many of us, I, I would be more bold to say most all of us in this room have been conditioned to live reactively, not reflectively. We just go from thing to thing, problem to problem. We distract ourselves endlessly because we don't know what to do with quiet. And what's happening right now, and it's not just cell phones, our culture is trying to push us into reactive spaces so that we just tread water throughout our whole life. And when you're treading water throughout your whole life, it's hard for you to step back and really see what's going on around you. 
And I would go further, it becomes more difficult for you to see what God might be wanting to do in you. Some of us right here have come into this room and you're worn out. And you're reactive. And the way that you know you're reactive is that you find yourself like short fuse and you think, where the heck did that come from? You bite your head off your, you know, friend or your family member, your kid, you kick the dog, you know, because we're reactive. It's why people road rage because you can't just scream and hang the bird at just anybody. So you do it to somebody you don't know. And we're oftentimes really caught off guard, like really disappointed in ourselves. And I would say to you that John's ability to truly see Jesus was born out of a space of stepping back and being a kind of person who was likely to really see what God was doing. If you're gonna be real about your faith, you're gonna have to recognize this. The thing Jesus is always looking to do in your life rarely starts really big and exciting. It almost always starts like a baby living around the edges. The good thing that God wants to do in us is almost always analogous to the birth of Jesus. He was born as a baby, a little vulnerable fella in an out of the way place. Bethlehem was not Jerusalem, redneck Israel. Where is God wanting to do something around the edges of your life? Where is God wanting to start a new idea or a new thing or a new dimension to your relationship that will necessarily be vulnerable at first, tender even, something that could be lost if you don't tend to it? And where is God asking you to tend? My wife and I are starting a new rhythm in our family. So we're almost empty nesters. We've got, which is really weird. Christmas was really special for us because two of our babies who don't live at home came home. And so it was a really great time to have college women in my home who I love and adore. One of them came home last night again for like 30 minutes and just sat on her mother and we like hugged her and then she left again. And we were all like, well, she left again. Uh, we're going through this really weird time of letting our kids go. Um, it's a gift to us. But my wife and I, in the middle of all of that gift, um, we left all of our children, uh, the second, third, and fourth, to go and do retreat together. And it's starting an annual rhythm where we go away and we do two and a half days of examine, where we ask questions about the prior year and we have discerned hopes for the future year. And I would say to you that you need to be the kind of person who actually looks at where you've been and anticipates where you're going. And you may not be able to take a retreat, but you could take maybe a half a day with a friend or a family member to do this. And if you want tracks to run on, you can visit our website under worship and worship resources. The questions that my wife and I asked one another on that retreat are just listed on our website for your um, edification, for you to have tracks to run on. John was able to see Jesus. And I will tell you that it takes time and intentionality to see Jesus, to see the work that he wants to do in your life. Number three, John baptizes Jesus. And I love the exchange because the exchange is like, oh no, you baptize me. And Jesus is like, no, you gotta baptize me. This is just the way it's gonna go. And then John baptizes him. And I wanna say to you this about baptism. We're baptizing today, this morning, actually, on the west side. There are a lot of uh, people being baptized over at our west side location. Um, the thing that I love about baptism is that baptism, going all the way back, speaks to passing through. So here's like a little nerdy, you know, Jewish church history. Um, the, the picture of baptism um, would have been analogous of the Jews like going through the Red Sea. So they were like slaves and then they went to freedom, but they had to walk through a body of water to be free. Uh, analogous of 
walking through the Jordan River, Jews going into promised land. They had to move through. The Jews almost always seemed to have to move through a body of water to get where they needed to go. And so early on, the Christian church adopted this idea of baptism, which speaks to us of movement in the Christian life, in the spiritual life. And so when you think about baptism, I think what you need to be thinking about in part is where is God inviting me to be a person who is moving, who is growing? When Jesus was baptized, he was giving us a way to be. He was inviting us to be a certain kind of person and movement, growth is a part of that. That's why I think doing some reflection and examination about where you've been and where you're headed is really important as a spiritual person. Jesus was baptized. Baptism also speaks to us of life change. Um, There were two words in the Greek language uh, at the time of Jesus. One, uh, baptizo, which is the word we use for baptism. And then there was another one, bapto, B-A-P-T-O. And B-A-P-T-O meant to dip, like washing your vegetables. You baptoed them. But baptizo is a word used in recipe books for uh, pickling vegetables, infusing them with something that changed their constitution. There's a reason why the church chose baptizo, not bapto. God doesn't just want to dip you. He wants to change your constitution. He wants to fill you, saturate you all the way to the bone. Baptism is about a life that is changed by God. And that leads us to the next movement in this passage, which is that the Holy Spirit rests on Jesus as he comes out of the water. Jesus is actually empowered by God uh, because the Lord was doing something really powerful in him and on him. And I believe that one of the things the Lord wants to do for you and me is to fill us with the work and the word and the life of the Holy Spirit. Um, I am a big, big uh, proponent of tending to the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit is known to us in the Bible as a paraclete, not a parakeet, not the little bird, but a paraclete, which means in the Greek language, one who walks beside you, who is with you. Um, This idea of God being near to us. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, wants us to be the kinds of people who are used to learning to walk in sync with what God is doing in our lives. And that takes attention. It requires intentionality from you and from me. Um, The Holy Spirit does a few things that are actually really important. Uh, The Holy Spirit, I think, is able to strengthen us The Holy Spirit is able to encourage us. The Holy Spirit is able to actually help us and make us brave. Um, The Lord wants you to be a man, a woman who is brave. Um, The ancient Irish church referred to the Holy Spirit as a wild goose. And I really like that image because a wild goose is somewhat elusive. And if you're not still, you won't see a wild goose. And I believe that, again, going back to that idea of reactivity, that many of us are living our lives in such a reactive space that we may miss a lot of what the Holy Spirit is doing and longing to do in us. You need to carve out quiet space. So do I. And if we'll carve out quiet space, we'll see God more at work. I invite the Holy Spirit to be close to me every single day. I invite the Spirit to make me mindful of his presence every single day. I say, Holy Spirit, come and make me attentive to you. And I would think that for you and me, that's a good prayer for us to pray and then begin to look for God's work in us and around us. Here's the last thing that happens in this passage. The Father from heaven speaks a word of acceptance over Jesus. And so I wanna spend just a last little bit of time talking to you about what, I, what uh, others have termed the cycle of grace versus the cycle of works. Do we have that on a slide, guys, that, those two charts? Um, okay, so 
I'm gonna, this is almost like you're in school for a minute, so I want you to work with me and put your thinking caps on. This is not gonna be too complicated. Um, in the early uh, 20th century, uh, there were two, pa- a pastor and a psychologist uh, who were working with missionaries who were coming off the mission field in India. And they were experiencing, uh, as they were sitting with these missionaries, a high degree of burnout. Missionaries were burning out and they were leaving ministry at an alarming rate. And so these two guys, one in the clinical world and one in the pastoral world said, what could we do to understand creating sustainability? And they looked at the life of Jesus and they saw what Lawback and Lake termed the cycle of grace. And so I'm gonna walk you through the cycle of grace and then I'm gonna tell you what the world tells you to do. The cycle of grace, looking at Jesus, his own life as a template for sustainability is this. Jesus was first accepted before he ever did anything, before he ever preached a sermon, before he ever healed the sick, before he ever did anything fancy, he was accepted. God spoke a word of affirmation over him that had nothing to do with his talent or his achievement. And then what we see in Jesus' life is that he sustained that acceptance through spiritual practices. So what are some spiritual practices of Jesus? Like, let's have a a couple of minutes here of interaction. What were some of the spiritual practices Jesus engaged? And these are not trick questions. I want you to holler at me. He prayed. Solitude. What else? Fasting. What else? Huh? Community, friendships. Totally. What else? Don't just be holy on me. Like, what were some of the things Jesus did that filled his tank? Time in nature. He's outside a lot. What else? He ate. He he ate so much, he was accused of being a glutton at times. What else did he do in that ballpark? He drank, and he he was a winemaker, one could argue. He was called a drunkard, too. I mean, he, he was around food and drink enough that people thought, oh, this dude may be a little bit scandalous. What else? Hmm? He He went to parties, that's true, that's true. So we get a picture here, right? He prayed, he knew the scripture, he had friends, he went to parties, he was outside in nature. Like these were things Jesus did to sustain him. And that acceptance was sustained through spiritual practices and that gave Jesus a sense of significance. And this is where we get a little weird. We think of Jesus as a little bit mealy mouth, but Jesus was not mealy mouth. Jesus said words like, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He knew exactly who he was. Jesus' sense of significance was born out of a sustained awareness of his acceptance. And then that led to achievement. Did Jesus achieve things? Yeah. Like resurrection, uh, walking on water, preaching really good sermons. And if you're uncomfortable with achievement, just put the word fruitfulness in there and you can think more Christian-y and then maybe that'll make you feel better about this. But I wanna say this to you. Jesus' sense of acceptance was sustained through practices, which led to an increased awareness of who he was. And then he bore fruit throughout his whole life. That is the way God wants you to be. He wants you to be Abba's child, knowing that you are loved, full of spiritual practices, knowing who you are, that then is able to be a person of significance who achieves. If you're gonna raise children, that's how to raise your children. Acceptance first, sustenance, significance, achievement. But our world tells us the exact opposite. And many of you right now are being broken on the wheels of the cycle of works. What does your world tell you? 
achieve first. You're only as good as your last grade or your last deal. And then out of achievement, you will actually feel like somebody. And then you have to sustain being somebody and all of that hoping one day to make you feel like you're loved. This is why we like prostitute ourselves on social media because we want people to love us. We're desperate for what God says, I wanna give you first. Do you understand how this is a kingdom upside down sort of thing, y'all? The Lord wants you to know that cycle of grace will every day trump the cycle of works. But we live in a world that tells us that it's all about works. When I think about the baptism of Jesus, I cannot think about the baptism of Jesus apart from this beautiful understanding that God looks at me first and says, you are my child, I love you. And out of that, I can be somebody. But if you go the other way around, you will never get where you wanna go and you'll always wear yourselves out. So as the Jews would say, Selah, think on this. Let's pray and then we're gonna spend some time confessing our faith and praying for the world and ourself and our souls. Lord, we ask you today for your grace. We ask God that you would help us as we prepare our hearts to come to this table to think about our lives in new ways, in deep ways, in meaningful ways. We ask you to have mercy on us now, we pray in Jesus' name. I bless this church and I'm so thankful for what you're doing here on the north side. Amen, amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's sermon. My name is Trip Prince and I'm the parish pastor here at Trinity on the north side. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people growing into Christ's likeness. You can learn more about Trinity and get plugged into the life of the church by visiting us online at atltrinity.org. God bless you and have a great week.